0: Today's reading is from John 2 beginning at verse 13. This takes place just after the miracles that Jesus is performing, such as the wine at the wedding in Cana. Jesus is beginning to reveal himself to his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me from Psalm 69. Then the Jews demanded of him. What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of God.
1: Now, Matt just read to us the gospel lesson that's appointed to be read for the third Sunday in Lent from John chapter 2, but I need to confess something to you today. Yesterday morning, as I reviewed my notes for today's sermon, I suddenly realized that I had preached that sermon Wednesday night. And Wednesday noon, those of you who are here may remember me talking about the cleansing of the temple. And then it suddenly dawned on me as well that I had given Vicki the wrong outline. It would not have matched the message anyway. That's why, very quickly this morning, I ran off another outline, and you got a new outline in your worship folder that probably should say something about God's guide to the good life. Because you know when you already preached on the text once i began i went back and i looked and i thought what was the old testament reading for today what's the epistle well the epistle lesson appointed for today would have come from 1 corinthians uh, chapter 1 verses 26 to 31 it's a good text i thought about it prayed about it for a while and then god moved me to the old testament lesson which is exodus chapter 20 verses 1 to 17 which is the giving of the 10 commandments And after praying about it, I decided I was going to use the Exodus text this morning. Now, understand that it is very rare that a message would try to cover all ten commandments in one message. In fact, in the past, I have had a ten-part message series covering each commandment one at a time. But today, you're going to get all ten commandments in 20 or 25 minutes, Uh, This might be what you would call, if you picked up the book at the bookstore, uh, The the Idiot's Guide to the Ten Commandments. (laughs) It's kind of a rapid kind of take a look at it. But we're talking about cleansing today. And what God is really saying, he said to the people of old, that if you want to be cleansed, perhaps I could give you a guide that would help you out. Now, I've got to tell you that the Ten Commandments are often hard for everybody to remember all of them. In fact, uh, I was going to try this morning. I was going to ask you this question. Let's do it anyway. Why not? There are Ten Commandments. What are they? Anybody? Give me one. What was it? No other gods. gods. There's one of them. Honor your father and mother. Heard that one. (coughs) What? Okay, don't covet. There's another one. False witness, you okay, eighth commandment, that's, that's four of them, should that should not kill, we got five of them, do what, <laughs> don't steal, or stale, depending on which side of the board you live on, okay, that's six of them, <laughs> yeah. did anybody say adultery, you can say it if you want to, Tommy, okay, we're up to seven, other than your father and mother, Do we get that one already, okay, so we're only up to seven. We already got covet, and there's two of them, so I'll give you an extra one. That's up to eight. Remember the Sabbath day. (laughs) Aha, misused the name of God. Pretty close. Now, I can remember once asking a Bible class if they could do all ten of them. Different people called out different commandments the way you did this morning. They could only come up with nine. I thought it was interesting that the one they couldn't remember was, Thou shalt not commit adultery. <laughs> now, it's funny how people react to the Ten Commandments. Some people, particularly young people, are somewhat put off by them. They think the Ten Commandments are just a bunch of don't-dos, and you know it's just a bunch of negative stuff about religion. Others are actually threatened by the Ten Commandments, as if their presence in a courtroom or in a classroom would somehow corrupt the minds of young people or perhaps disrupt the entire judicial system. Uh, No doubt many of you remember a guy by the name of Judge Roy Moore uh, in Etowah County, Alabama. He came under scrutiny a few years ago for posting the Ten Commandments in his courtroom. A number of school systems not only in Texas, but in Oklahoma and other places as well, have also found themselves battling for the right to post the Ten Commandments in their classrooms. Now interestingly, and maybe not surprisingly, recent court decisions have overturned the decision banning or forbidding the Ten Commandments in classrooms. I guess what's happening is some judges are beginning to realize that giving students a little moral direction isn't so bad after all. But you know, the Ten Commandments are really a whole lot more than just a list of do's and don'ts. They are really God's guide to the good life. They are a pattern for us to follow if we literally want to cleanse this temple that God lives in. And if you live by the Ten Commandments, they'll help you avoid a great deal of pain in life. The Ten Commandments also emphasize three very important areas that we need to remember to clean up. Let me go through these. First of all, the Ten Commandments emphasize the importance of our spiritual life. They emphasize the importance of our spiritual life. They are covered in the first three commandments. You got these before. The first commandment is very specific. In verse 2 of chapter 20 of Exodus, it says, You shall have no other gods before me that's simply God saying to us he wants to be first place in your life he will not settle for second third fourth fifth now if you're somebody like me who watches college basketball you know what happens to number ones I mean North Carolina got knocked off yesterday the week before Pittsburgh got knocked off are new what one, number ones all every time you turn around God says no we're not into that there is only one number one, and you'll stay number one in all the polls from now until eternity. He created you, and he said his rightful place is at the top of your list. In fact, some people interpret this as saying God is first, and there is no second on down. He's just it. Now, this isn't because God wants to keep you from enjoying life. It's it's because he designed you, he wired you up in such a way that your greatest happiness in life will come from a personal relationship with him. Your spiritual life is very important to God. It's not something you squeeze into an hour or two a week or something you put off until you've kind of achieved everything else in life. If you want to experience the good life, this clean life, this Christ-following life, it begins with recognizing the value of spiritual matters. Now, in these first three commandments, we're looking at God tells us, I want to be first in your life. I don't want any competition. In fact, he says, I don't want to compete with any other gods. I don't want to compete with any other religions. Now, where most people, most of us, myself included, often blow it on this commandment, is our tendency to want to define God in such a way that he actually kind of fits our lifestyle. We like to, you know, we worship the God we have created instead of worshiping the creating God. Now, maybe you've heard somebody start a sentence off something like this. They say, you know, I could never worship a God who, and then they kind of, Uh, detail things they wouldn't let God do. Or they'll start it off this way, they'll say, well, you know, if I were God, I certainly wouldn't, and then they detail what they wouldn't do if they were God. Let me give you a couple examples. I could never worship a God who would create a hell. I've heard that one before. Or if I was God, I'd never create a devil. Or I could never believe in a God who would allow pain and suffering or this one I heard from a man in my office who I think was looking to get a divorce. He said, I could never believe in a God who would make me do something I don't want to do, I think, which was love his wife. See, some people create the kind of God they want to believe in, and sometimes their God is nothing at all like the God of the Bible. And God says, I don't want to compete with that. You can't worship any other god. I don't care whether it's uh, the little g god of another religion or that little g god that you want to create to form your own religion. God says you must have no other little g gods besides me. This means we don't approach God with an attitude that says, God, this is what you have to be in order for me to believe in you. Our attitude ought to be this. God, you are God. I want to know you. I want to know what you are really like. And see, friends, if you want to know what God is really like, there is only one way to do that, and that is through personal experience. That's why your spiritual life is so very important. Now, don't get me wrong, God reveals Himself through the Bible, but when God reveals Himself through the Bible, what is He always revealing? He's revealing how much he loves you and knows you and how much he wants you to love him and know him as well. The first commandment could be summarized very simply. Don't try to create God. Instead, spend time getting to know the real God. See, in the first commandment, he also goes on and adds a few more things in verses 4 and 5. He says, you shouldn't make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. You shall not bow down to them and worship them. Now, when I looked at that again the other day, I was reminded of the opening scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark. I wish I could show that to you this morning, but do you remember that? It's where Indiana Jones steals this idol from a temple, and then he starts running, and he he, he gets past all of these booby traps and, and, and these poison darts, and there's that monstrous big rolling stone, only to get outside and run into his arch nemesis, who takes it away from him. Do You remember what happens then? His archenemy takes that idol out of that bag and he holds it in the air and the minute he does that, every native around fell to the ground in worship. Now in America, most people are not very likely to bow down or kneel in front of an idol. But there are things that we kneel before. It's kind of what Jesus was telling us in our gospel text. You've got to clean out the temple from time to time because there are some things that have gotten in front of me. We kind of worship our houses sometimes or our boats or our stereos or our four-wheelers or our, yeah, you, you name it, it goes on and on. In fact, I have a friend who, who works for himself and he earns a, a, a kind of a modest living. Uh, for most of the time I've ever known him, he, he, he drives a beat-up old pickup truck. But I remember about five or six years ago when his father died, he inherited his dad's BMW. And since his dad's insurance paid off the note, he got a brand new free BMW, free and clear. And after driving around a few weeks, he told me, it's amazing how differently people treat me Now that I drive the BMW instead of that old beat-up pickup truck. Well, why is that? That's because in America, a car can be an object of worship. Now, I don't think my friend Scott at all idolizes this car, but other people do. Cars are often like modern-day little g-gods, and God says, I'm not competing with that. See, God won't compete with other gods. In the second commandment, he tells us, too, I'm not even going to compete with your job. Look at verses 8 and 9 on the outline. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. See, in this verse, God reminds us that work is important, but it is not everything. I mean, see, there's something in life more important than your job, Guess what that is? It's developing and nurturing a relationship with God through Jesus. See, in these commandments that emphasize the importance of our spiritual life, then the third commandment is kind of pivotal. It says in verse 7, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord. Now, those of you that grew up memorizing the commandments or know the old King James Version, know it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, here's the good Lutheran question. What does this mean? Well, we usually associate this commandment with cursing and swearing, but you know, it's a whole lot more than that because the way you use a person's name is an indication of what you think of that person. I think I'm quoting Shakespeare now, and I think it's from The Merchant of Venice. Don't This didn't fall off Mount Sinai, so don't pin this to me too hard. But I, I think he said... If you steal my coat or you steal my bag, you've stolen nothing. But if you steal my name, you've taken all that I have. And see here, in the same way, how you use God's name indicates what you think of him. I mean, how many times have you heard the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ, used in a non-biblical or non-religious, or non-church setting. How many people do you know that start every sentence off with the word God? God, it's cold outside. God, is it raining again? God, we got another test. See, If you take God seriously, you will not use God's name flippantly. See, that's what the first three commandments are all about, taking God seriously. Acknowledging the importance of your spiritual life. That's cleaning out that room for God to dwell. Now, you wanna have a good life? Then give God your highest priority. That's what the 10 commandments teach us. Well, here, here's the second thing. The 10 commandments also emphasize the importance of our relationships. We're gonna look here at three other commandments. The fourth commandment in verse 12 says, honor your father and mother. Fifth commandment says you shall not murder. Sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Now, these three commandments all deal with the importance of our relationship, specifically how you and I treat other people. And and there is an underlying principle behind each of these that we need to keep in mind, and the principle is this. All three have to do with placing value on other people. For example, if you value the role your parents played in your life, you will live in such a way that will bring them honor. If you value other people, you will not kill them. You will not make their life miserable. If you value your spouse, you will not be unfaithful. Friends, it comes to this. The Ten Commandments teach us that other people are important too. See, our inclination is to go through life parked in our high chair thinking the world revolves around us like a little baby and say, me, 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 me. In fact, some of the very first words a baby learns after mommy and daddy is what? Mine. It's all about me. See, God reminds us that treating other people well is a crucial part of being human. It's a matter of respect. If you want to live the good life, You need to recognize the value of other people and give them the respect and the honor that they deserve. Now, I want you to all think about your parents for a moment. Some of you may have been raised in the kind of leave it to beaver world, you know, where you were raised by Ward and June Cleaver, and you've got a life full of positive memories and character-building lessons. If that was you, God bless you. Some of you may have been raised by Frank and Estelle Costanza from the Seinfeld show who constantly yell at one another, constantly put down one another, constantly tell George that he's no good at all. Now, either way, whatever family you were raised in, friends, they still deserve your respect. That's what God says. You may not agree with every decision your parents have ever made, but you can choose to live today in such a way that would still bring them honor. Now, I know that there are probably some of you out here probably thinking, are you kidding me? I mean, nothing I ever did ever pleased my father. Nothing I ever did pleased my mom. Nothing I ever did pleased my parents. Well, guess what, friends? Let me tell you what God has to say about that. God says... Doesn't make any difference. Live in such a way that would bring that person, if they were capable of feeling honor, honor. Give the relationship the respect it deserves. I'm gonna do a couple of weddings coming up in May. Talk to both couples and, you know, it talks about leaving and cleaving. And uh, I, I always point out in a wedding that when it comes to your parents that before you are married, guess what? You owe your parents honor and obedience. Honor and obey your parents. That's what the Bible says. But when you get married, guess what? Obedience gets transferred to your spouse. But honor still stays with your mom and dad. I want you to think about your spouse for a moment if you're married. Do you know what causes most people to commit adultery? Guess what, it's not lust, it's not sex, it's loneliness. When a person feels unappreciated, when a person feels undervalued at home, he or she becomes vulnerable to having an affair. If you ever hear your spouse say something like this, all I am to you is a paycheck, or if you hear someone say all I am to you is a maid, You ought to see a red flag waving in the breeze somewhere. Now, whether your spouse is right or not, those words are a warning that you might not be communicating just how important he or she is to you. I mean, think of all of your human relationships, all of your friends. Do you know what the difference is between relationships that work and relationships that don't work? It's spelled R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Respect. That's what makes them. And that's what God's talking about, learning to respect one another. Even in the church, folks, it ought never to be that we can't get along with one another in this church, because God says we must honor other people. We must respect other people. It doesn't make any difference what they do. We need to take the high road, to take the hard right, if you will, against the easy wrong. We need to give people the respect that they deserve as fellow members of the body of Christ. Now, the last four commandments deal with integrity. Integrity. The seventh commandment says, you shall not steal. The eighth commandment says in verse 16, you shall not give false testimony. In other words, don't lie. The ninth and tenth commandment, we kind of bunch together. It comes from verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, those four commandments focus on who we are as individuals. They focus on our character, our integrity. Integrity in the Greek means to have a one-piece heart. Or as Dwight Moody used to say, are you the same person in the dark as you are in the light? I mean, who are you when no one else is looking? Do you have integrity? And I think we need to zero in on three specific areas that we as Christians need to have integrity. One of them is we need to have integrity in our work. Instead of working to steal, we ought to be working to earn a living. We ought to be willing to give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. Now I know a lot of people who would never ever dream of stealing at work, but these are sometimes the same people who wouldn't give a second thought to coasting through a day at work without giving 100%. We need to practice integrity in our words. Matthew 5:37. Jesus says, let your yes be yes, let your no be no, your word alone ought to be enough. We ought to get rid of all of that nonsense that says, cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Oh, I swear to you on a stack of Bibles. Now, friends, if my word isn't good enough, something's wrong. See, obviously, this means we shouldn't lie. It also says we ought not to be making promises that we aren't going to keep. I mean, in order for our words to carry weight, we need to strive for integrity in what we say. And third, integrity in our wants. See, that final commandment warns about coveting, or quite literally, coveting is lusting after what belongs to somebody else. Now, here's a principle for every area of life. A person who constantly wants more cannot live with integrity. Do You get that? A person who constantly wants more cannot live with integrity. I I once heard somebody say, the key to happiness is, is not in accumulating more, it's being content with what you have. And I thought about that, and I thought, okay... Yeah, I kinda know what you're saying, but I'd like to change that a little bit. What I'd like to say is this, the key to happiness is not in accumulating more, and neither is it in being content with what you have. Happiness comes through eliminating your wants altogether. It is saying, Lord, I don't need more to be happy. I don't even need what I have to be happy. All I need to be happy, Lord, is you. Kind of sounds like Psalm 23. Remember how that starts? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't need anything but Jesus. See, living the good life is not about what we accumulate. It's a matter of what we become in Jesus. In order to live the good life that God has in mind for all of us, we need to develop our inner world. We need to practice integrity. See, God, in his wonderful love to us, has given us the Ten Commandments. He's given that to remind us of what's important in our life, respecting God and give him the first place in our life. After all, God deserves that respect. Look what he has done for you, what he has done for me, what he's done for this world. I mean, the most important thing that we celebrate during the season of Lent is what? What God did for us through his son, Jesus. To send his son, Jesus, into this world, even though we are sinners. The Bible says even while we were enemies of God, he still sent Jesus. To save us from what? To save us from ourselves. To save us from our sin. To save us from Satan. To save us from eternal life without him in hell. And if that's not enough, guess what? He pours out blessing upon blessing upon blessing more than we could ever ask for, more than we could ever imagine. All that we have, He has given us. We need to respect God and give Him the honor that is due Him. We also need to respect other people enough to treat them with the dignity that they deserve as well. And finally, respecting ourselves enough to strive to be the kind of people that God desires to make us be. All in all, friends, God did not give us the Ten Commandments to limit our freedom. I don't look upon them as limiters at all. He's given that to enhance our lives as Christ followers. When we live by the Ten Commandments, that's when we truly become free to experience the life that God has for us in Jesus. And may all of us experience that wonderful life in Jesus. Amen.